0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Always loved good stories and found this story. A dad was watching television and he was really into the, the, the program that day. Well, he loved his son. He loved to play with his son. But as you know, parents, He's really into this program. It's a good half hour left. And his son says, Hey, Dad, you want to play? I would love to, son, but let's wait till this program goes off. Okay. Five minutes later. Hey, Dad, is it off yet? No, not yet. Uh, Won't you come back later? Two minutes later. Hey, Dad, is the program over yet? And he realizes that, you know, he's not going to get any peace. He wants to see the rest of this program. And he looks down and sees the newspaper. And on this newspaper is this big picture of the world you know the globe of our planet and so he grabs it tears it out and he rips it into a bunch of pieces and he says son let's play a game you go and take this and when you put it back together again come back and we'll play oh that's great dad so off off goes the boy to his room two minutes later he comes back hey dad Are you ready to play? He goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, son. He's beginning to wonder if he's got a prodigy or something. He says, son, uh, how in the world did you get that put together so fast? It would have took me at least 20 minutes, and I'm an adult. And he goes, Dad, it was easy. He says, on the back side of that picture of the world was a person. And I just put everything together real quick, and there it is. And the point of that story is this. Behind our world today is a person, and his name is Jesus. And as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, when we realize that Christ is the picture on the other side of that world, and when we know him, when we discover him, it helps us not only make sense of everything, but also it gives meaning to everything. And so we're going to look at that today. You know, Mark Twain once said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And I want to tell you how you find out why. It's a second person. Jesus himself said, you must be born again. You're born physically and you're present here today. But you have to be born spiritually. When you and I are born again, born from above, born by the, power of God, then we know why we're here. When we know Jesus Christ, we know where we've come from, we know where we're going, and we know why we're here. He makes sense of everything, and he gives us meaning to everything, and that's what makes Jesus so great and so good. So the question I want to ask you is, where are you in this quest of the gospel, you know, I had to even look up the word "quest." What does that mean? It's something that you're searching for, and uh, when you look at the gospel, you find ultimate meaning and fulfillment in life because it's about Jesus. Look, if you will, in Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse fifteen, there's this. Many believe it's a a hymn that they might have sang in the early church years ago that Paul quoted and put in Scripture, but here's what it says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed On the cross, love that. That's some awesome, awesome words of truth there. Now, what does it mean? This passage is about Jesus being the center of our lives. Everything in our lives should revolve around him. Notice that in verse 15, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? I can tell you what that means in the the Gospel of John there was a moment when Philip, one of the disciples, asked Jesus, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And then Jesus said to him, How I've been among you all this time, and you don't know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, Jesus said that. Jesus said to his disciples, If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, he and the Father are one. And so Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, uh, if you want to know uh, what God is like as far as his character, his nature, his qualities, then look at the life of Jesus Christ and you will find that he is the image of the invisible God. Uh, Not only that, It says very quickly in that next line, verse 15, that Jesus is firstborn over all creation. Now, that's very significant, firstborn. In the Bible, you know, you look at birth order. And the firstborn, the one that's born first, has special rights and privileges. Usually, the firstborn would get a double portion of the inheritance. A firstborn had special privileges. It had to do with rank. He was... He or she, the firstborn, was born first. And so it has to do with rank. It has to do with status. And so when it says here that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, I want you to understand that. I have to tell this story. Many years ago, I remember a lady coming into our church at Christmas time, and she had. Uh, A church background, but it was of a different faith, and we began to talk afterwards. Hey, glad you're here, and you know, and she she was talking about you know Jesus, and boy, that got me excited. And then she said something, and it made me go, whoa! Let me ask a question because that that just flew by me, and I want to you know I want to make sure. And so I began to ask her some questions, and to make a long story short. I began to realize that she believed that Jesus didn't exist until he was born in Bethlehem. And what I had to tell her, Brother Don, is Jesus is the great I Am. He himself said before Abraham was, I Am. The reason why they crucified Jesus is because he claimed to be God. Now, if someone claims to be God, they're either a liar, a lunatic, or they're the Lord. And in in this case, Jesus Christ is Lord. Matter of fact, the fact that he uh, died and was buried, and that proves that he died. But on the third day, he said he would rise again. And guess what? He did. And that proves that he is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God. He is is the Lord. Well, at any rate, the term firstborn simply means that he is first. He is... uh, He he is first in rank. He's firstborn over all creation. Now, what does that mean? Uh, It's fascinating when you think about it, but Jesus is firstborn over all creation. Um, Let me give you an example of that. Look, if you will, in John 1. In the Gospel of John, the very beginning of that that book, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God and it makes you go okay the word was in the beginning the word was God and the word was with God well who is the word well in case you're wondering John answers that question he continues in verse 2 he was with God in the beginning all things were created through him and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created so who is the word you go on down to verse 14 and he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is the Word? His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Word. He was with God and He is God. He was with God in the beginning when everything was made and without Him not one thing was made. That's pretty incredible. What a what claim. Not only that, Let's look at Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And in the Hebrew letter, it says this Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. That alludes to Him being firstborn. He's heir and He has made the universe through Him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So what an incredible thing that uh, Jesus did. Not only was He present at creation, but he came and he died as a substitute for you and I. And after he died for the purification of our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. What an awesome thing. Jesus is over all creation. Look at what it says there in Colossians 1.16. For everything was created by him. And if you want to know what he means by that, read the rest of verse 16. What does it mean everything was created by Him? Everything in heaven, on earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. And to sum it up, everything's been created by Him, everything's been created through Him, and everything is created for Him. That's awesome, isn't it? What an awesome God we serve. Jesus Christ is Lord. All things have been created by him, through him, and for him. And then it goes on to say in verse 17, He's before all things, and by him all things hold together. In other words, he is preeminent. He He, he is over all. He is above all, but he also He holds everything together. You remember when we were kids? He's got the whole world in his hands. He does. He's got the whole world in his hands, and he holds everything together. That's what Paul wants you to see, is Jesus Christ is firstborn over all creation. But then he gives Jesus a second title. There in verse 18, he says he's at the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn, from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. It's one thing to say, you know, before Abraham was, I am, because Jesus was with God in the beginning when he made everything. But now we realize that Jesus is firstborn from the dead. Again, that term is a term of rank, a a term of status. Jesus is first. Now, if you think about it, uh, if you're honest, you'll say, well, there's, the Bible records different times when people died and they came back to life. I mean, look at Jesus' ministry. You know, he, he brought people back from death, particularly Lazarus comes to mind. But guess what? Lazarus ultimately died again, and he's still in the grave. His body's still there. Uh, in the Old Testament, Elijah healed a widow's son and, and brought him back to life. But ultimately, he died again and his body is still in the grave. What makes Jesus unique? This. Jesus died, and they buried his body in a tomb as well. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, and he lives forevermore, and he will never die again. Amen? And because of that, we have hope in this life and the life to come because we know that we serve a living Lord. Not a dead Savior, but a living Lord who overcame death, hell, and the grave. And the Bible says that the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, if we're a believer in Christ, that same Holy Spirit lives in you. That is an awesome, awesome thought if you think about it. But what does it mean that Jesus is firstborn from the dead? Well, we're told the reason why Paul mentions this is so that he might have first place in everything, not only in creation But in redemption, he is first. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Let's look at two or three verses real quickly. Acts 26. In Acts 26, if you're writing this down, verse 22 and 23, Paul is talking uh, before authorities, and he says, To this very day I have had help from God. And I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. In other words, Jesus Christ is the first to rise from the dead. The others in the Old Testament and even in the New, they didn't count. They might have been brought back to life, but they ultimately died again. Jesus rose from the dead... And lives forevermore. That is the difference. Then there's a second passage in 1 Corinthians 15. It's called the resurrection chapter. If you want to study what it, uh, what it means to, you know, the resurrection of the dead, what does that mean and what does it look like? Look at 1 Corinthians 15 sometime. The entire chapter is about that. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Paul says, As it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep now farmers whenever they planted everything and then they worked hard and then when the harvest came they would gather the harvest and then the first fruits is what they would give back to God and here Paul is saying that when it comes to the resurrection Jesus Christ is the first fruit of those that have been raised from the dead, because He did it first. It makes everything else possible for you and me. For since death came through a man, referring to Adam, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man, referring to Jesus. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterward at His coming those who belong to Christ." There's an order there. That's awesome. And then one more verse, just to throw it out there. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, the, the book is a revelation from Jesus Christ. And he's called the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead right there in Revelation 1 5 from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood isn't that awesome there in the very last book of the Bible at the very beginning of that letter we're reminded that Jesus Christ is firstborn from the dead that is the Lord that we know, love, and serve. Jesus is firstborn over creation. He's firstborn from the dead. And so when you introduce Him that way, my question is this. Is Christ the center of your life? Because if He's not, He should be. He's the center of history. He's the center of Scripture. He's the center of everything that God has designed and created and made. All things were created by Him Through him and for him. He is the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn from the dead. Is Christ the center of your life? Well, let's just talk about it this way for a minute. Where are you in your quest of the gospel? In your search for meaning, when you look at the world, please understand that on the other side, the back side of that page, is a picture of a man who explains it all. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? Have you come to know him? Uh, Here's the rest of the story there in Colossians 1. After introducing Jesus Christ, Paul makes a few remarks in verses 21, 22, and 23. And this is what I want you to listen to very, very closely. After introducing Jesus this way, here's what Paul has to say to you and I. In verse 21, once. You were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. Now, here's what I want you to write down, the word condemnation. Were you in the quest of the gospel? The first part of the story of the gospel is condemnation. And here, Paul reminds us of that. He says, once you were... You know, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, here's your diagnosis. Because before you come to Christ, you're alienated. You're separated from God. You're alienated from Him. And the Bible says you're hostile in your minds expressed through your evil actions. You know, somebody can tell you what to do. Maybe even God can say in His Word, here's what I want you to do. But until you come to know Him, you have this attitude of don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. I have my own life. I'll live it however I please. And so in our minds, we're hostile toward God through our evil behavior because we don't want anybody to tell us what to do. We don't want anybody to tell us how to live. We want to live life on our own terms. And that's why John 3, we know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world. But John 3, 17 says that if you don't know Jesus Christ, guess what? You're condemned already. Already. Now, what does it mean that I'm already condemned? Well, when we stand before God someday, we'll be standing in the Supreme Court, the one that matters, the one that counts, God's court. His laws will be on the wall, and all he's got to do is look at them. And look at you, and he doesn't have to say a word. God's law condemns you and I as sinners. And we are guilty as charged. We haven't put God first. We, 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 uh, we've lived life on our own terms. Uh, you can say, have you ever told a lie? Well, well, if you've told one lie, that makes you a liar. You may, does that make sense? All you have to do, James says that if you just break the law in one point, then you're a lawbreaker. You know, if I take a rock and I hit that beautiful mirror back there and it just makes a crack in it, oh, it's just a small crack, nobody will ever notice, but just that one crack, if I break it, I've broken it, have I not? And you and I, when it comes to the law of God, all we have to do is break one law, And in the eyes of God, we're a lawbreaker. And because of that, we've all done that. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one who does right. No, not one. We stand before God and we are condemned. Before you came to Christ, that's where you stood with God. But Paul says when you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, when you come to know this Jesus who created you, who loves you, who died on the cross to save you and then rose from the dead to justify you, when you come to know Him, then your story changes to once you were. But you're not that way anymore. You're not there now. Once you were. But now, in verse 22, He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death. That is so good. You know, some some religions believe that Jesus was too holy to get His hands dirty. And so they create this chain of gods, and each god in the chain is a little lesser than the one above it and a little less holy until finally you have a little god down here with a little g that is able to get his hands dirty for you and I. That's not how this works. Jesus Christ, the one who made us, the one who loved us, he came into this world and walked among us. The word became flesh, remember John 1:14, and dwelt among us. And what did he do? He laid down his life on that cross for you and you and for me. And because of that, that's a game changer. That's why Paul declares in verse 22 of Colossians 1, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. Going back up for just a minute, look in verse 19. For God was pleased to tw- to have all his fullness dwell in Him, referring to Jesus, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. We have a God that loves us, and He came down from heaven. He lived and walked among us. He experienced temptation, but the Bible says He never sinned. And He gave His life, He laid it down, for you and me, he shed his blood, he died on a cross, a criminal's death. His physical body was ripped and shredded to pieces. He looked horrible when he was humiliated on that cross. And you know what? He did it for you, and he did it for me. And now we are reconciled. That's the second word, reconciliation. We move from being condemned. I'm a sinner. And I'm guilty as charged before God. What am I going to do? But now I've been reconciled. And look how it's happened. Jesus made the first move. He came when I didn't know God and I didn't even care about God. You know, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before I ever got saved, before I knew a thing about God, before I could even care less about God, 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to die for you and for me. And that is such a game changer. Now we've been reconciled. In other words, here are two parties, and they are separated, and there's nothing that can bridge the gap. There's nothing that can overcome that great divide, and now they've been brought together, and they're reconciled. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. But there's more. He says, but now he's reconciled you through uh, his death to present you, there in verse 22, to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith And are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. The third and final word is restoration. Restoration. We move from a place of condemnation. We are guilty before God. We've broken His law. We are a sinner. And we are going to get what we deserve. But. Christ came, and when we come to Him and we receive His forgiveness, we are reconciled to God. And now as we look forward, one of these days, He's going to present us before Him as holy, faultless, and blameless. You know, as you and I now know, if you know that you're a child of God, you know that you've been saved. You don't have to fear future judgment. You don't have to fear, even though on one hand you're excited, I can't wait to get to heaven someday, I can't wait to see God, but then you get to thinking about who God is and what he's like, and you're like, oh, man. You know, I thought about that one time. I was in a Bible study years ago, and this gentleman made the comment. He says, you know, I got saved when I was young. And he says, I'm officially old enough now that I've lived more than half my life as a follower of Jesus as opposed to before I knew Jesus. And he says, I still struggle with sin. And he says, I'm just thinking about all the things I, I've done since I've known the Lord. Not even thinking about all the bad stuff I did before I knew the Lord. And he says, it just got me to thinking, what is it going to be like when I stand before him? Is that stuff going to flow through my mind? And that was a very honest question he asked. It was a very good you know, conversation that he raised. But what Paul is saying to you and to I is when we move from condemnation to reconciliation, then we get to look forward to restoration, that day that will stand before God as holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Not because of anything I've done, but because I am now wearing a robe of righteousness because I belong to Jesus. And if you think it's good now, you just wait to how good it's going to be when you and I are with God forever and ever and ever. That is the story of the gospel. And it's all because of what Jesus, the firstborn of creation, the firstborn from the dead, did for you and for me. And so as we think about the quest of the gospel, my question to you again is this. Where are you in this quest? Are you over here in the condemnation part? you realize that I don't have Christ in my life, I don't know the Lord, and I'm in trouble. Because if I stay in this spot, then one of these days I'm going to stand before a holy God and I'm going to be guilty as charged because I've broken His law, I've broken His commands, and I've done nothing to make it right. Or maybe today you can say, I've been there, I've done that, but that's not where I am now. I can honestly say what Paul said, But now he's reconciled me by his physical body through his death when he shed his blood on that cross. And you can say, I know I'm saved. Not because of anything I've done, but because I know who Jesus is and I know what he did for me and I asked him to come into my life and he has saved me and he has changed me. And then I hope and pray that everyone that says yes to that can say, and I look forward to the day when I will stand, forward, stand, stand before God as holy, as, as faultless, as blameless before Him, not because I'm perfect, but because I now wear a robe of righteousness that I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And now... I can look forward to that great restoration that's going to happen uh, in glory with him. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death, no more pain, no more shame. It's all going to be good because it's all going to be glorious. We're going to be with God forever. Have you come to the cross to embrace the one who died for you? And will you remain? He says, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifting away from the hope of the gospel, if you remain on this. I like what one pastor said Tuesday night. He says, once saved, always saved. If you're truly saved, that's so true. Once saved is always saved if you're truly saved. If someone makes a profession of faith and then they all of a sudden just turn their back on everything you have a right to say were they really saved in the first place but once saved always saved if you're truly saved because when you're born again you can't get unborn you're born again and there is evidence that accompanies your salvation let me close with a couple of illustrations suppose i'm in a courtroom And the judge says to me, Mr. Meggs, are you married? And I said, yes, I am. And he says, well, can you prove that you're married, Mr. Meggs? And I said, yes, I can. You see, oh, 20 years ago, I was in the church. I saw Nancy coming down the aisle, and uh, she was beautiful, and I got all excited. And your honor, it's the most wonderful feeling in the world. I'm married. And then when I finished, the judge would say, I'm sorry. While I'm glad you feel that way, Your feelings are not evidence in this courtroom. You have to prove to me that you're married. And then I go to the courthouse in Paris, Tennessee, and I pull the records, and I show the document where it's notarized, it's signed, and it's sealed. And then the judge would say, Congratulations, Mr. Meggs, you are married. You know, what I want you to see from that is my salvation doesn't hinge on my emotions. I have a record It's the Word of God. And Jesus said, or John said about Jesus, these things I've written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're saved. The other thing I want to say, I love this illustration from Adrian Rogers. He shares about a gospel encounter one time where he talked to a man about Jesus. And he led him to the Lord. And after they prayed together, he said, Now, sir, I want to give you your spiritual birth certificate. And he turned to John 5, verse 24 in the Gospel of John. And he said, Verily, 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 I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life they started to read it again. Verily, verily, I say unto you, uh, Adrian read, and then I told the man, it's Jesus who is speaking. Do you believe this? Yes, he said. He that heareth my word, have you heard his word? Yes, the man said. And believeth on him that sent me. Have you believed on the God that sent the Lord Jesus? Yes, the man said. Hath everlasting life. Do you have everlasting life? Well, I hope so, the man said. Let's read it again, Brother Adrian said. And they did. And again, he answered yes to every question except the last one. And Brother Adrian said, again, let's read it again. And so they read it a third time. And this time when he asked the man, do you have everlasting life? The light went on. And he said, why, yes. Yes, I do. And he says, who says so? And he says, well, God says so in his word. And that's right. That is the basis of your faith, the source of your certainty. Isn't it better to have God's word rather than my word or your neighbor's word or your family member's word or a Sunday school teacher's word or a friend's word? You want to have God's word, and that is the assurance of your salvation. He says so, and therefore it's so. You know, there used to be a bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's not theologically correct. God said it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. And that's true. So, But the important thing is, do you believe? It would behoove you to say, yes, I believe. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? When you look at this quest of the gospel, where are you in the story? Are you standing in condemnation Or have you come to a place in your life where Christ has come in and he's changed you and now you can say, I've been reconciled. And I'm looking forward to the day when I'm with him forever and I see everything fully restored the way it was supposed to be before it all went amok at the fall. Where are you in this story? Do not let another day go by until you settle this issue. Life goes by fast. I mean, I can't believe I'm 46 years old. Life goes by fast. And one of these days, if you don't make the decision to follow Jesus, one of these days, time's going to pass you by. Don't let Jesus pass you by. Don't, don't put off an opportunity to come to know the Lord. You don't know when you're going to die. You can walk out this room and die today or tomorrow. I don't say that to scare you. I honestly don't. I say that to sober you up a little bit and say, look, life is moving fast. And when God is speaking to you right now in this moment, don't put him off. Don't just sort of go, I've got plenty of time, I'll do it later. No, you really don't. You've got to take advantage of every opportunity that God gives you. If God is speaking to you today, and you know that you're standing in this place of condemnation, I want to tell you, you don't have to stay there another day longer. You can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ right here, right now. Because Jesus has already laid down his life. He's already shed his blood. He's already died for you and for me. And now he's waiting for you to come to him. Won't you come to him today? Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times or learn how to contact the pastor please visit phbcsummerset.com.